welcome to episode six, this week's guest, author Kadra Candle. How are you? I have been biking, can I say? So this morning it was foggy and that sort of misty rain that you get when it's um, nearly saturated the air. So I'm riding um, down from Santa Monica to Venice this morning um, along the Pacific Ocean. And um, I didn't put on my contacts, so my glasses were completely uh, speckled with water and made it really difficult to see, especially since all the clothes, exercise clothes now, are synthetic and certainly don't dry my glasses well. But I will say the side effect of that is that when I looked in the mirror this morning, my face looked great because (laughs) riding into moisture at over 10 miles an hour appears to be great for the face. Uh, what can I say? So, you know, I've been thinking a lot about quotes after I did the show on the epigraph, and I didn't realize how much time I spend looking for quotes or um, having <laughs> following people who write quotes on Instagram, like Brene Brown or Mark Groves or Terry Cole or any number of other, um, Tracy McMillan's a good one, a number of relationship people, uh, people who are interested in self-improvement. Um, it's a topic I guess I've been interested in for a long time. Hopefully things are improving. So this week I came upon two quotes um, that really, really made me think a lot. Um, the first one is from the Bible. Um, it's one of the best places to get quotes, it turns out. I don't know where I came upon it, but it says, um, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I was thinking about that recently. Um, Someone I, uh, well, friend, I don't know, this is not a good definition of that relationship, but um, insisted, kept insisting that they were never wrong and they would do things that were wrong or certainly not uh, acceptable by most in polite society. And then they kept saying they were not wrong and I kept thinking, oh, yes, there is right and wrong. I think you may not always be on the side of right, but also you're engaged in a bit of self-deception and the truth is not in you. And, you know, when people are like, why don't you trust me? And it's like, because you tell these lies. And they're, you know, they're like, I know I may have lied about these 23 things, but you can trust me. And I'm thinking, your perception of who you are does not match up with my perception of who you are, which is fine. People can have whatever self-perception they want, but um, gaining my trust based on that, not going to happen. Anyway, that one was sort of interesting. The other thing is that I just started reading The Gift of Fear. It's one of those books that people have talked about for years and years and years and years and years, and I never read it, and I don't know what possessed me, but I downloaded it from the library as an audiobook. And I've listened to exactly, I think, an hour going to the beach, from the beach, to the beach, from the beach um, the last couple of days um, when I'm bike riding in the morning. And one of the things that I found sort of fascinating is that he talks about the line that separates foresight and hindsight, the line between what might happen and what has just happened. And that's a really sort of interesting place to be because... I think often we talk ourselves out of our intuition. 
Um, it's a thing that at least I know a lot of women do, maybe men do as well. But it's sort of fascinating how we have a bad feeling and then we just like swallow it, overcome it, talk ourselves out of it continually. You know, and you meet people and you go, oh, they gave me a bad feeling, but I didn't want to be impolite. They gave me a bad feeling. I didn't want to say anything. They gave me a bad feeling. I didn't want to walk away because it seems rude. But I think that, and it's, I've, it's a mistake I've made, it's a mistake I have made up until September of this year. But I think that what I plan to do is because I have never, it was sort of like a conversation I had with a friend a couple of months ago, and we talked about giving people second chances and how that has never, ever worked out. Somebody violates your trust, does something that makes you uncomfortable, and you swallow it and you think, oh, I'm gonna give them a second chance, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt, but it doesn't work out, it has never worked out. I have asked a lot of friends who I've you know, connected with um, the last few weeks or months about whether or not giving someone a second chance or giving someone the benefit of the doubt has ever worked out. And everyone has universally said, no, my first impression was correct. And I think it's true not of not only of the violence, I guess, which Kevin DeBecker talks about, but of your general impression of people. But it's just fascinating because, so in most of life, you give people the benefit of doubt. Um, they do something that doesn't benefit you. And they may injure you twice. And then you're like, okay, well, I'm ready to move on. But... And that doesn't typically harm you in any significant way. But it could, in the case of violence, um, especially since I'm writing this new book that does um, talk a lot about violence, and it's just um, interesting. I think now, and I thought about it today, I'm going to just trust the gut feelings. Um, So there's a place I park, uh, I call it a $2 lot. There's a couple of them in Santa Monica. Um, that have been $2, by the way, for 20 years. So uh, maybe they need to raise those prices. I So I park in a $2 lot. In the last few weeks, I've parked in a lot in a space where I parked for years. And there's like sort of a guy hovering around the space. And I keep thinking, well, it's a public lot. It's out here. It's outside. It's by the beach. There are plenty of people here. Not many, but mostly surfers, truthfully. And nothing bad will happen. And yesterday I parked there and he said something to me, I don't even know, and it made me uncomfortable. And I drove into the lot today and I thought, I don't really need that space so badly. And I drove and I parked in another space and all the discomfort was gone. And I thought, why am I pushing to the discomfort to have this parking space? Well, it's because I think I deserve that parking space. But um, why would I risk personal safety over the best parking space in the lot when there are plenty of other ones they're not ideal but it's fine um and pushing through the intuition i thought he's made me uncomfortable he's made me uncomfortable week after week after week and i'm done with this like i'm done with parking in this space this space is not worth anything um not at two dollars um so it's certainly not worth losing anything over so i pulled into the other space took out my bike, rode around, passed all the surfers, and it was fine. And I thought, I, I can't believe I continually do this, even in what I feel like is a low stakes manner, but I'm done. 
I'm done and every time my intuition tells me to back away, I'm going to back away because there generally is no loss to it. And, you know, if people feel that being impolite or rude or whatever, that is too bad because my personal safety and my personal comfort are more important than other people's feelings for the most part. Um, but it's just something that uh, came up today and I thought to myself, mm, no more, no more ignoring intuition. I mean, I've done it for such huge things in life um, and such small things in life and um, always turned out badly. Imagine that. So uh, I will say, just to keep you updated, that um, I got the edits back for Poisoned. It is complete. I'm so excited. And uh, it is, well, it's moving down the pipeline. So... Uh, Given the whole rebranding project, I anticipate that the book will be released um, probably the end of January of 2021 and hopefully um, abused, which, you know, doesn't have any words. It's 12% done, so who knows, um, will follow thereafter, maybe March or April of 2021. And after that, I don't know. So today on A Time to Thrill. I'm so delighted to welcome an author I know and love. Her name is Tadra Kandel. Um, her information will be in the show notes. She, I met her, I don't know. I actually only met her in person last year. We have worked, however, on projects. She's one of those people who I met virtually online. There's a lot of author groups online. And she said, who knows, maybe 2014, 2015, let's do a project together. And I said, okay and um she is amazing she's the kind of person that if you call her and you ask her for something and she says she will do it it will be done i don't ever have to think about it again she is eminently trustworthy and um also a great writer so she has written a lot of books i have not read them all um but she's creeping up on the last time actually i checked 99 so uh, I recommend many of them to you. I have certainly not read them all, but um, she's a great author. Her information is in the show notes. And you ready? Are you set? Let's talk to Tadra. Good morning and welcome to A Time to Thrill. I'm speaking with Tadra Kandel, who I think I just realized I might not pronounce your last name right. So how do you pronounce it? It's actually Kandel. Just oh, like, God. Just like, that's okay. That's absolutely, you know what? You got my first name right. And that's, that's like everything because most people get that completely wrong. So. Okay, but I don't know how many years um, I have mispronounced it to every yeah, single person right. I've mentioned it to. You know what? It, 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 sound, it makes me sound a little bit more, you know, like, um, like cachet. It's, I it's know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So, Tadra Candle. So, I have to say, first of all, congratulations on hitting USA Today. Thank you. Um, and I love the title. Somebody, I was like, oh, <laughs> I have a friend who USA Today. What's the title? Jingle Balls. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. So, that's a great thing, especially given the Barnes and Noble stuff that's going on. So uh, super, super cool um, yeah. that you hit it. So for listeners, like Barnes and Noble's had some, I don't know, the whole site went down uh, for days. And I think the email I just saw is 
we're looking into recording missing sales, but everybody else is in the same boat, which didn't make me feel uh, warm and fuzzy. No. I don't. I didn't even know what to do with that. I was like, so everybody's missing sales. Great. Um, so who knows? But anyway, congratulations. So I will say this about Tatra. Um, sometimes I meet people and they say, how many books have you written? And I say over 20 and they go, that's a lot. And I think, oh, but you haven't met my friends. So, <laughs> so, um, Tondra, the last time I heard you were up to 99. Yes, I am. Yes. That, that is, that is where I, I am. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely positive, but I think it's around, I think it's, I, I, I think like a hundred is coming this fall. Let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. Wow. So, so yeah. can I ask, because I don't anticipate getting to that number, not at the pace I write. Um, how does it feel? I mean, that's a lot of stories to tell. Um, and I have a lot of stories to tell. What I don't have is time to write them down. Yeah. Um, how how do you achieve that? I mean, I, you're not the only author I know who's written that many books, but yeah. there are like four of you, not 400. Um, so how do you do it? Like, what is the, I don't even know what to say. Like, how do you do it? I just, you know, I, I had a lot of stories for a long time, kind of running around in my head. And I did not finish my first full length book until I was 41. And I'm 53 now. So um, I had a lot of catching up to do. And I also did not have young children. I mean, I, I think when I published my first book, my son, who is my youngest, was 11. Oh, and wow. he's 20 now. So I mean, for his, for his teen years, that was all it was all about the the authoring, you know, like his his teen years was all about like, um, going to events with me and, and being known at the events as the kid who will handle your tech for you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I just had a lot of catching up to do. And happily over the years, when I was um, thinking about writing and, and thinking about stories, I would jot down like important points. Like I would jot down names and I would jot down like the, the basic storyline. And then, mm -hmm. so um, I, I, I still feel like I have a lot coming and a lot I feel the same way as everybody else there's just never enough time and um, the older I get and the more complex life becomes the harder it is it's you know there are times that I just put my head down and write and it's wonderful and it's great but there's also times when I feel like I would really like to release these books and these books and these books and these books next year but I just whereas maybe five years ago I would have said okay I'm gonna do it now I'm kind of like mm, now I'm gonna have to make a choice because yeah, I, I, it's important to live at the same time that you're <laughs> writing. You know, you can't, you That's have true. to have a life. You do. You have to have a life or else your craft suffers. That's, I really I, it is, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, yeah. Oh, I finally read. So there's, I, I, I talked about this um, in the intro of the podcast, but there are a number of books that I have never read that when I ask, everybody has already read. And one of the books I read in the last uh, couple months was The Artist's Way. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was just so interesting because I, I, you know, I pulled my friends and they're like, oh, no, we all read this. And I thought, oh, OK, I don't know where, where I've been. But um, one of the things that she talks about in the book is the artist date. And it's actually something I used to do. Um, well, I'll tell you why I don't. But I used to do all the time. So I would write, but I would also take time to go to museums, go to plays, um, all these things that are obviously closed. 
um, and travel, all that I can't do. But there were the things I did to sort of rejuvenate myself and walk around and uh, get ideas. But I do have a strong belief that you need to live life in order to write about it. You do. and Because otherwise it doesn't, uh, well, for me and for some of the writers, it doesn't work out. It's not that you don't have ideas. It's just that it, I don't know, you need to refill the well, I guess, so to speak. I, I think you get, um, you you become very narrow in your focus if you don't, um, if you don't go out in the world and experience a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I think I will find myself if I have been doing nothing but writing, 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 that my characters don't do much like other than what they <laughs> they basically have to do and and so it's so cool to um to have an experience and then say hey i know exactly which character would would benefit from this experience and and she's now going to go to you know um this hotel or or this beach or this movie or this play or this city or whatever and and it's um I think it's good. I think it's good for us. Even if you don't use it specifically with right. a story or a character, it does. It feeds some part of your soul that needs to be fed in order to create. That's so funny. So I have a book. So I'll say this. So um, I spend my summers in Budapest. And one of the things I do is take public transportation. Um, but I ride the bus or, well, it's a trolley, but a lot. And um, I became obsessed with the bus drivers one summer. <laughs> it was like, I have no idea. I was just like, who, why bus drivers? Like, why strong arms? And I got all obsessed with it. So I ended up writing a book where the hero was a bus driver um, because I just, I spent so much time watching, looking. It, it's, a, it's a whole amazing thing. <laughs> but it does, it, it's the weirdest things that influence you because if you would ask me, I don't know, five years ago, if I would have written a book like that, I'd have been like, why, what? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but I mean, dropping my son off at camp, I think, and I was taking the bus back. Um, you know, to and from every morning, you know, five days a week. And it was like, oh, and they have like things they do. And it's like a whole, you know, it's a whole world that I knew nothing about. Um, so let me um, ask you a couple of questions. So <laughs> in across the span of many things, how would you categorize what you write or what do you write? Everything is romance. Um, you know, I started out uh, paranormal romance because so many of us did. And, and um, I thought that that was going to be my home. And it was a comfortable home. And it still is part of me. And actually, I am, I'm going back there after a little three year hiatus. Um, but I then wrote my first contemporary romance, I think, two years after I published, I wrote my first contemporary romance adult. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is where it's at. This, this I like. Um, and, and so I've, I've kind of um, straddled worlds, but I have released far more contemporary romances than I have paranormal romances. Um, but, but yeah, at the heart, everything I write, whether it's erotic, paranormal, um, I am delving probably not next year, but the year after into some um, romantic suspense. Um, it, it's all, it's all got to have a love story. That's just, that's just me. So um, this is so interesting. Um, I do love contemporary romance. It's the only kind of romance I've ever written. I've never written anything else because I don't think I have the capacity for it. 
Um, but can I ask you this? Because, okay, so my perception of you, and this is probably based on the books I've read of yours, mm-hmm. is that you write a lot of beach romances. Is that the case or is it just me? Like those no. are the books I read. Actually, I, I did, my first was was The Posse. That was beach romance. And then I, I wrote several others in that series. And it's still an ongoing series. It's just mm-hmm. not one that I have released a lot in. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if there's a unifying um, theme, it's probably more small town. So I, I do have that that beach romance but most of my romances are set in various small towns either in florida or in uh south jersey which is where my family is from Mm -hmm. or um uh, georgia which is where um my longest running small town uh series is is set in georgia um about 45 minutes west of savannah which I have oh, no okay. idea of whether there's a town there. No, I, I mean, I've looked at, I've looked at maps or whatever, but I haven't actually like gone there, but in my head it's there. It's, and I can tell you all about it. Um, yeah. And, and so it's, it's primarily, primarily small town, but I love beach romances. I mean, that's a great excuse to, I'm doing research. <laughs> <laughs> so if you look at Tadra's Instagram, well, I don't know, yeah. maybe not lately, but I, my perception of your Instagram is lots of pictures of you, yeah with um perfectly manicured toes and perfect uh, pedicure by the beach and I'm like well that looks great yeah. <laughs> I, and I live near the beach but I don't live that kind of life I mean the, the pacific coast is, it's completely know, different completely yeah, I different, mean, I, so. yeah I, I lived in California and, and I yeah no I agree and where I live in Florida I can be um I can be to the beach in about 45 minutes thereabouts um and and I it's it's a big thing for me. I have to be able to live someplace where I can drive to the ocean or the Gulf um, mm-hmm. and just be able to see that it's, it, it just fills me, rejuvenates me. It, it just is, it's my happy place. You know, um, there's, there's people who like they recharge in the mountains right. and, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't dislike a mountain trip, although I'm not a fan of heights. So another reason, <laughs> I, another reason I love the beach. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, that that is my happy place. So if I can go there and say, well, this was a research trip, and so I'm going to go to this um, this restaurant right here, and then it's going to be written into the book. So boom, there we go, research. We go. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so interesting. I uh, I didn't know I didn't know you live that far from the beach. For some reason, I felt mm. like you went every day, but that's just my no, perception. No, I wish. Uh, yeah. So how often do you go? Um generally we try if if you're a floridian you probably don't go to the beach that much in the heat of the summer just because there's so many people here and um and there's so many tourists and it's just yeah it's not a whole lot of fun so i mean what during normal times (laughs) we we go to the beach i probably go two or three times a month i would say um yeah and and we've actually found one that is safer and um there there's a town that i base crystal cove which is my where uh where the posse and and all the those romances are set Um, right exactly and and so i love i love to go to that town just because it's familiar to me it's a small town it's it's a lot of fun but it's really really crowded and there's not a lot of social distancing but Uh, we found a um 
a beach that is about the same distance away that uh, is much better and much much emptier. I took my husband there uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was like, "Oh." Because he was terrified that we were going to go and there's going to be people on top of people. And oh, he, right. out, he was like, oh, this is <laughs> fabulous. I was like, yes, yes, it is. Um, and oh, so that's been fun. Yeah, that's been good. It's good to oh, get this out. this is fascinating. So, I mean, I was at the beach this morning. So I've been riding on the beach because I can't go to the gym. And because mm. um, I used to go spinning all the time. And that is like, you know, <laughs> a mile from my house. Yeah. And then the beach is uh, farther. It's 20 minutes, um, you know, in L.A. traffic which is not far yeah, but you yeah. know I still think the guys have to be in the car and um there's actually not that many people at the beach so you know the Pacific Ocean it's cloudy a lot mm-hmm. um this morning it was really misty such that I wish I'd wear my contacts because my glasses were completely full oh, when, from yeah. riding you know yep. on a bike but the beach is pretty empty I mean it's just nothing but I, don't, I haven't seen lifeguards on duty in a while but um it's really empty, but it's also, you know, 60 degrees. Oh, yeah. So not necessarily conducive. And then by the time it, I don't think it, if, I mean, I get more in the 70 in the Pacific Ocean is cold always. Yes. And everybody's yes. got a wetsuit, which is not my ideal. But I don't mind biking along the beach, looking at the ocean, listening to the sound. I find it um, calming and soothing uh, for a short period of time. But although I'm not a beach person, so um, not my favorite vacation. I spent... Yeah. So in my childhood, my mother loved to go to the Caribbean, and I've been mm. to, I think, all of those islands. Um, but after that, I think I uh, burned out on beach vacations by the age of 10. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's, you know, happily, my girls are all beach people, and my grandbaby, she is, like, she adores the beach. She just has no fear, and she loves it, and it's her it's her place. And oh, wow. Okay. So it's wonderful. But my son went through a long time period where he was like, nope, don't like this. And I think my husband is not a huge beach person either. And neither is my son-in-law. And I, I kind of think with men, and I'm making a huge generalization here, but women, I love to go to the beach because there's nothing for me to do but read or <laughs> talk or like there's nothing, there's nobody needing me to do anything else. So it's just like complete relaxation. And I think for men, it's kind of like, Okay, well, you know, unless you're a really a really heavy reader and you love to read along the, you know, at, at the beach, um, right. it's it can get boring. I, the, the men in in my family are kind of like, okay, well, what are we going to do now? Are we going to eat? Are we going to do this? Are we gonna do that? <laughs> but that's, that's my that's my entire childhood memory. So I was, I think the first, I don't know, I, I went my first flight. I think I was like two or three. So it's kind of vague. I remember changing in Florida on American Airlines to go to mm. I don't know Jamaica, Bahamas. I don't remember that part. Um, that well but I remember as a child my mother would read and then she would lay on the beach and I kept thinking okay but what else um (laughs) (laughs) and your mother was like this is it (laughs) I know this is it Um, and she was a heavy reader which is I probably were I mean a lot of people in my family read a lot so I think that was certainly a habit but I'm going to tell you three four five that was not my interest I mean I enjoyed reading but it wasn't you know a three-hour thing I was like what else is there to do um so that's interesting so you like small town romance. So can I ask you what you like about writing about small towns? Because I, I only, I don't think I've ever written a small town romance. They're always in urban areas. But I grew up in New York City and I live in Los right. Angeles. So I, I you know, that I'm biased. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, but what is it that you like about small town romance? Well, I think that there's kind of a, a, a morbid fascination 
for me because <laughs> I, I grew up, I was, um, my parents were both from the same small town in South Jersey, which is um, about 20 minutes outside Philadelphia. So we had, we had the best of both worlds. Like you could be in Philadelphia, which was our city, mm-hmm. um, you know, very quickly. And I, so I grew up with that, that I identify as with Philadelphia as my city. That was where I went shopping. That's where all the sports things were. That's where I went to see music, you know. Is that where you have to cross the sky kill from Jersey to Philadelphia? No, what is the river you cross? Uh, you, uh, the Delaware. Oh God! Yeah, I should know. This. Oh, I'm sorry. Thinking, New York City, it's like, woo! What happened? No, you're know. thinking the Schuylkill. I believe the Schuylkill is what you mean. Oh yeah, and that is the okay. river that actually runs. That's actually completely on the um, on the Pennsylvania side. So that's ah, it's, it's over. Yeah, it's okay. over. But yeah, the Schuylkill is is oh. over there. Yes, but you can go, you can go uh, crewing on the Schuylkill River. That's the big. That's thing. probably there what I know, go. but that's from that's college. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So um. <laughs> You know, I so I did not actually grow up there for the main part of my life because um, I was first an army brat. And then after the army, my dad uh, took a job with Procter & Gamble, as most people did when they got out of the army in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, Procter & Gamble was heavily recruiting uh, people who were leaving the, the service because they were already used to this lifestyle of, you know, live someplace for two years and then get up and move. Uh... And so... Um, Oh, so similar but, to IBM, which we used to call I've been moved. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so P&G was, was definitely that way. Um, and so we lived in California. We lived in, in you know, Kentucky. We lived in Pennsylvania. We, we lived all over Virginia. Um, and then we came back to South Jersey um, my, because my dad was going to law school. My dad left P&G and, and was going to law school, which was a huge change in, in our lives. And I was like 10 years old. Um, and I started this school where my father had gone to school and they had all been together since they were in kindergarten, all these wow. kids. And I come in and I mean, I, 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 they, they said I had an accent because I had come <laughs> from California, right? I, I said water instead of water. Um, you know, yeah, they, they, they sent me to speech. The, the school sent me to speech because I had a California accent. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, my, my, dad, my dad put the kibosh on that because it was during math class. He's like, she needs math more than she needs to learn how to have an accent. So, no. Um, but I, so I think it just became this idea that even though I was – part of that town in the sense that that's where they lived. Um, my dad was in Vietnam when I was born. So my mom lived there and with my grandparents. And so that's the town where I was, uh, you know, born for all right. intents and purposes. Um, but so I was in essence, what we call a frommer, which is somebody who's from that small town. Um, but I was also an outsider because I was not, I had not lived there from the time that I was tiny. And, um, and I, I kind of had this this weird perspective where I could see some of the things that I really did not like. I could right. see some of the ridiculousness. I could see some of the, um, the you know, the pettiness and, and just that, that whole small town mentality thinking. Right. Where there were people who had never left the state of New Jersey who were, and I'm, as I said, where we lived in New Jersey, Delaware was 15 minutes down the road. Pennsylvania was 20 minutes. New York was an hour and a half. It wasn't that hard to live. <laughs> stay, you know? And I'd be like, really? You've never left. Um, and, and it's just a mindset. So I think as I've been writing over the years, um, 
I love to romanticize the life of a small town. You know, I've right. kind of made it into what I wish it was. Ah. And and what yeah, there's there's a few things where I will I will point out that maybe it's not wonderful for everybody, but mm-hmm. you know, um the the town in, in Georgia, Burton, um mm-hmm. it's it's I've kind of made it into exactly what I wish a small town was, which is wonderful about being a fiction <laughs> writer, right? I know. You can do that. So you know. I can fix everything and it'll yeah, be fine. I know. <laughs> no, in my books, Los Angeles has hardly any traffic except when it's Isn't important. That <laughs> <laughs> except when it's crucial for the story. Story, like, exactly. Yeah. But otherwise, they come and go as they please. Know, and nobody's right? stuck going, I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> I'm stuck. I know. The helicopters I know. are flying. Did you hear yeah. the sirens? <laughs> exactly, right? Um, <laughs> I can take all that out. It's funny. It's true. I do idealize it because otherwise, it would be. Well, there'd be a lot of stopping and starting yep. <laughs> or, oh God, well, that, oh, oh dog, <laughs> you know, whatever, all the things um, that yeah. would not uh, idealize it. Yeah. Um, so what compelled you to start writing? Because you didn't start writing at, you know, 15. I mean, not, I'm not saying that, but you know what I mean? No, no, actually I did. My very first short story was published in a children's magazine when I was 13 years old. And oh, wow. It's called The Bennett House. And I had won several contests and, and uh, the librarian for our school submitted it to this magazine. And they're like, yeah, so I have the magazine somewhere around here. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So that was my, so I, I would say, well, I was published when I was 13 and then I took like a 30 year hiatus. And yeah. Um, I love to write. I always, you know, I don't remember a time I wasn't telling stories, spinning stories, whatever, but I really feel like the education system and, and I'm not familiar with the education system in other countries, but in our, in our nation and specifically during the time that I came up kind of sucked the creative energy out of you because um, you were, we, I was beat so much with with things I had to do writing wise I ha- I was a history English major so I mean I was just I was writing all the time so the last thing I wanted to do in my downtime was right was more. more yeah and then I got married and I had children and you know I had um four children over the course of um 11 and a half years almost 12 years um so I was busy <laughs> and, and, and I, I homeschooled. Um, and so I, I channeled some of that writing into the homeschooling. And I wrote history curriculums, uh, English oh, wow. curriculums. When I couldn't find ones that I liked, I would just write my own. Right. Um, and that was fun because this, uh, I was not one of the earliest pioneer homeschoolers, but I, we, we also were not, it's, it wasn't as, um, prevalent as it is today yeah. um, and certainly now um, <laughs> and you know uh, we were just like the internet was really just in its infancy so that I wasn't able to go on and like oh download right yeah, yeah we, we did, samples right yeah we, we didn't have Khan Academy and we, you know <laughs> we were basically out there on our own except with the, the internet was the only thing we used the internet for in those days was um for interaction you know like the mom's groups would form on there and and I actually made some of my very best friends um by you know by meeting people across the country um, oh, online wow, yeah. yeah who were homeschooling moms too so um we moved i lost both of my parents in 2006 2007 just oh, just wow. about a year wow. apart to two blood cancers and um and it was it was really a horrendous time in our lives because uh we lost 
not only my parents, but we lost a lot of people. We lost pets. We, uh, my husband was already down here in Florida with a, for a job that, that we were moving. My oldest daughter was a senior in high school, um, had to sell two houses, three cars and move to Florida like two weeks after my mother died. Um, yeah. And so we, we moved down here. We knew nobody. My husband left his job and decided to go to seminary because, you know, why not? Right. Why not? not? Let's toss something else in there. And, um, I had really spent the first year that we'd been in Florida, just kind of, uh, you know, like dealing with your footing, I assume. Well, yeah. and, And dealing with both of my parents' estates, um, which was not easy because mm-hmm. they, neither of them really were, they were, they were 63. So they did not really, they were not really prepared for, for that. Um, and, and I, I got the summer of 2008, I got really sick and the doctor said, you are just exhausted and you have to stay in bed. So I did. Um, and I didn't have anything to read. It was the days before Kindle and Nook and all that. And right. I had bought uh, on a trip to California earlier that year, I had the uh, bookseller uh, had recommended these books. She said, oh, they're, they're hugely popular. And I had stuck them in my nightstand when I got home. And it was Twilight and New Moon. Oh, that's so funny. Right? And yeah. I had nothing else to read. So I was like, I guess I'll read this stuff. And I read them and I was like, oh, I love this. So <laughs> I there was a third book out. So I, I was not supposed to be out of bed, but I stuck down to Barnes and Noble. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I want to read the fourth one. And they're like, yeah, but it's not coming out for a month, which I know I can't complain because I know everybody else waited who, who had been reading from the beginning. But um, right. uh, they had all the fans at that point had... Um, instituted radio silence like you could not go online and talk about these books anywhere because they they didn't want any spoilers for breaking dawn so they had Uh shut down all of the fan sites oh wow right and and so i am like dying just wanting to talk to somebody about these books and there wasn't anybody so i thought you know what i'm going to write my own book and so between the middle of August in 2008 and December is when I wrote my first book and I finished. And I was like, that was a huge thing for me that I, because I'd started a lot of books in the past, but I actually wrote a book oh, beginning to end. And I know, I yeah. remember, yes, I know that feeling. Right? I, I so, I, I hear you because I wrote, I started and I started and I started. That's the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that's the entire 90s. And I actually, I took a class called um, Finish Your Damn Book. And, you know, like, you know, the continuing education, I have no idea because I I had not lived in Los Angeles that long. I don't even know where I saw it. And I was like, oh, maybe now is the time. So I have a lot of issues with the class and like the whole uh, workshopping books and all that. I don't know if I recommend that for everyone. Um, It didn't help me. But what it did is I finished the book because I kept not finishing it. And I was so there's, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if it was this way for you, but there's something about finishing a book where you think, oh, this may not be that good, but I can do this again and I can do it better. I can do this. I can actually, I mean, it's probably the same as finishing a marathon, to be honest, although I don't want to run run again right now, but (laughs) I'm getting too old for it. It But but you do, you get to the end of a, of a, of a marathon, a half marathon, anything you do and you're like, well, that really wasn't that bad. And you think you're forgetting about eight, the, the, the mile eight. Like, <laughs> That's true. Kill me. Kill me, right? Um, yeah. I know. I, I remember right. mile marker 12 and I thought, what am I doing? Nobody does this. I could be in my yeah. bed. 
Yes, exactly. No, I, that's, and I, I think you're right. I think it, it is like that. I always, I always feel like the high that I get after a book, after I finish a book, it's kind of like how I felt after I had my babies. Right. Like, ah, oh, oh, I can do this again. I'm like a new person. And, and, and I just, I feel like both released because I've finished the story and I feel like so excited because I want other people to yeah it's 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 just you can't explain it to somebody who hasn't really experienced it and it's 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 super cool I think it's it's probably an addiction and that's that's why (laughs) oh maybe oh maybe it is my golf because I I watch like I drove by today people were playing golf and I kept I always think but why do you do it? And they're always like, oh, but I, I'm just getting a little bit better. And then like some days you have a great day. You know, maybe it is like, I've always looked at them and I thought, why? Why? <laughs> I, why? Get, I know. I, know. I don't understand I don't, you. I don't but I think maybe you've just opened my eyes because it is that feeling because it's, so I just started a new book. I'll say this. And Ooh, I'm about, did you? I did. <laughs> and I'm about 8,000 words in and it is a delight and a joy. And I know, I know that in three weeks it will no longer be a delight and a joy, <laughs> but I love the beginning and I love the ending. Yes. Like I love to write in the beginning. I'm like, look, it's a story and I'm going to figure out how yeah. to put it together. I'm going to tell you the story. I'm just, you wait. And at the end I'm like, look, I have a story and it's done and let me give it to you. <laughs> but that middle that middle oh. part, I'm like, why would anybody do this? Why do I say I like this job? Oh, but look at the baseboards. They can use some cleaning. <laughs> you know, like all the other things I think of. And, you know, and I still get up every day and do it. But I'm always like, well, I don't know if this is a good idea. Should I look at my resume? I haven't done a resume in 20 years. But should I think about it? Like all the thoughts I have. And that's usually what I'm, to be honest, that's usually when I'm at a museum. Because I'm like, well, other people do art so clearly it can be done but no there is something about finishing that first book so I'm really amazed you finished it in a short time because it took me oh let's see 90s Uh, 90s to I don't know I finished it in 2000 god I'd already bought and sold two houses 2004 because if I was in the third house then I had to have been somewhere so 2004 so it probably took me mm, six years yeah that sounds about right to just and it was 80,000 words I mean it's not you know it wasn't a million words um, but it was just a slog. So what made you, what was so compelling? And you seem to be a fast writer, clearly. But what, what is it that got you from, got you through the middle part um, of I, that first story? I actually, I well, see, this was, this was where I credit Stephanie Meyer is that she, what opened my eyes uh, with her process, because I did a lot of reading about her process, was that she did not start at the beginning. She started with this scene that she had dreamt about. And I, this was, I mean, People probably had said this to me a million times. I don't know. Maybe they had. Maybe they hadn't. But I was like, I don't have to start at the beginning. And for me, beginnings were hard because I am. Um, I have taken Becca Symes' class, you know. So I know yeah. that I context is like one of my strengths. It's one of my top five, right? Oh, wow. So when I'm telling somebody a story, I want them to have the entire picture. My husband says. Like, I, I don't just say I went to the store. I'm like, well, it was a dark and rainy night. I want everybody to be able to see it and to experience it like I did. So I, I really had to work on that idea of of not info dumping in the beginning. So oh, that right. and so I started in the middle with um, the idea that I had and I wrote I wrote from the beginning to a certain point. Then I wrote, or I wrote from the middle, sorry, the middle to a certain point. Then I went back and wrote the beginning and married it. And then I went and and did the end. 
Um, and it was, it turned out to be, I think 140,000 words. Wow. Um, but I, a lot of it, I mean, I was just writing all the time. If I look back on my, my time hop for that, that, that year, I, mm. I don't know whether I even had Facebook at that point, but, um, I was always writing. Like I was, my son was playing little league and I was, I was always the one sitting at the, you know, sitting on the bleachers with my laptop. Uh, laptop yeah. yeah. Just going. And so every place that I went, I took my computer and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. Um, and such a good habit to start with. <laughs> it, it was, it was it very really cool. Is. Yeah. And then I, I printed it out and gave it to uh, my sister and, and my kids, my girls for, because it was, a, it was a YA and my kids were, let's see, it was 2008. So my kids were like, um, 19 and 19 17 and 13 yeah okay. that sounds about right I guess yeah so um my, my my girls were my son could have been he was not interested at all clearly. But, <laughs> um you know so it was it was very cool for me um and once I had done it like you said then I was like hey I can do more and I knew there were at least three more books in this series so I actually had the first three completely written before I published the um Wow. Yeah, the the first because I I did a lot of, you know, indie publishing wasn't a thing right. really in 2008. So I I you know I was in New York. I was agents and query letters and all that, all that so much yes. stuff. Yeah, until somebody finally said, you should just indie publish. And I was like, hey, hey, what is I, that? Yeah. And oh wow. Yeah, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing, but. So but you learned. That's true. I know we all learned <laughs> trial <Yeah>. by fire. <laughs> right. So did you publish? So was the first book you wrote also the first book you published? Yeah. Wow, that's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because the yeah. book I'm telling, the one I wrote, the first one I wrote, I didn't publish it until 2014, which was six or eight years after I finished it. Because I just, I couldn't. I don't know. I struggled with that book. I rewrote it like six times. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, so what I did is I put it aside because I thought yeah. I can write a book. This may yeah. not be the thing. And then I wrote like two or three other books and then I got published um, with a publisher. But it was so I book three was my best. <laughs> like that was my best first book. <laughs> you know, the third yeah. one, but the third one, I was like, oh, I think I figured out some kinks. I think I figured yeah. out some processes and um let me get, let me make this better. So do you still write from the middle? No, I do okay. not. I don't okay. do that anymore. I mean, I, I guess there, there might be times that I do. There might be times that um, I, I'm actually thinking about the fact that what I'm working on right now, I kind of did start in the middle um, because sometimes you just have an idea, you know, sometimes you have this scene that, that you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is, this tells me a lot about these characters. And so I want to get this down and, and, um, so I'll try to, sometimes I will just jot it down. So I guess I, I but I, when I go back, I will probably, when, I, when I'm really like uh, intently, I'm, I'm kind of just playing right now because I'm on hiatus from writing right now. Um, so I will probably, I will start at the beginning, but I will already have, you know, this three to 6,000 words middle part. So. Oh, that is so interesting. So I will say this. So I have always written the first book, well, I, I don't even know what that is. I can't say. I don't know how I started it. But I always um, write from beginning to end, and I don't ever deviate until the last book. So I think the last book was maybe like 22. I don't know. My son would know better. And at some point, the end came to me. Mm -hmm. And so normally, I just ignore it and then keep on writing. And I actually sat down and wrote the end. 
And it was so interesting because my editor um, endings are not my strength. I, I, I know this, so it's not a secret. <laughs> Nobody used to tell me it. And um, the note from my editor was like, this is the best ending you've ever written. And I thought, oh, maybe there's something to this, not saving all my thoughts in my head until I get to the point where I write it down. Yeah. Um, and so last night, and I don't know, I have some mixed feelings about it. Last night I sat down because I had two thoughts about two different scenes in the book. And I just wrote them down. Um, and then I need to go back to where they are sitting in an office to deal with whatever I need to deal with. But I thought, well, this is interesting. I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm going to try it. Because, I mean, what I know, there's nothing to lose. No. And uh, see how it goes. But I've been so invested in being a linear writer. I don't know why. But I've been deeply invested in I started, you know, word one. And then I ended word, you know, 70,000 and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I went through a time period where I did write, like I would write to a certain point in the book, then I would write the ending, and then I would go, I, then I would meet them, you know, have them meet together. And paranormal, I think I, I that tended to be my process a lot, um, just because I knew exactly where I needed them to be All at, right. at that point. Um, but I haven't done that in, I haven't done that in quite a while. Um do you yeah, think your I, process has matured, shifted? Is it easier now writing a book? I don't know. Easier. easier. <laughs> I know that's the, um, I don't know how to say yeah. it, but is it uh, less hard? <laughs> I don't know. You know. Is it easier writing a book now? Because at least you know kind of where you want to go. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it is. There's, there's certain ones that are, that are easier. There's certain ones that are, that are more challenging. Certainly. Um, it depends on, on the book, too. Like, my military romances tend to come pretty easily and pretty quickly. Um, I always say, if I have, I may have the power to astral project, because I will swear that that after I have written a book, like, I will say to you, oh, well, I was just, and I'm like, no, no, I wasn't just there. I know. Um, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I wasn't just at West Point. Um, the, the last military romances that I did were set at West Point, and actually the next set are also set at West Point, uh, because both my husband and my father graduated from West Point, so that's been a constant in my life from before Thanks. I was born all right. the way up to now, so um so, you know, it's, it, and, and I would swear to you that I've been there and I haven't been there in five years. Um, but those, those were super easy to write because I, it was, it felt familiar. It felt good. I knew exactly what I wanted it to be. And um, those were super easy to write. The medical romances were a lot more challenging. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what I've written this year is military, medical, and, and um, assorted here and there. Um, and they were a lot more challenging because I just felt really strongly about certain elements that I wanted to get right. Yes, I yeah. know the, the, yeah. the struggle. Yeah. The I'm doing a book now. So usually, uh, how can I say this? You know, I have a lot of experiences in my life. Not They're not autobiographical. But I'm finally, I'm writing a book where I, I'm like, oh, I have not, not only have I not had this experience, I'm going to have to really like make sure I don't mess this up. Um because um, it's a murder trial and I've never, oh. I didn't, um, I used to practice criminal law years and years ago, but I never did murder because um, there's, well, to be frank, there's not a lot of murders. Um, you know, there's a lot more regular, regular crime. I can't right. believe I said that. Um, and so my character has progressed far beyond anything I ever did. And now she has her first murder trial. And I think I had to go look it up. I'm like, I vaguely remember like 
the bare bones of this, but I'm going to have to figure out how it really happens um, and not just in my head. Um, but I know what you mean. Somebody asked me the other day, like, where were you? And I was like, oh, I just left Casey in an office in Cleveland. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, you know what? Um, <laughs> I was I was at the Grove. <laughs> I don't know. I was at Melrose Avenue. I, I don't know what I said. Sorry. Um, and I'd look, I'm like, I know Casey's not real. Hold on. I'm sorry. You know, like, but in my, that's where I was in my head. Like, that's where I was. And that's where I had to leave her. And then I had to, you know, come back out to reality and who knows, set up Zoom for my kid or something. But, <laughs> you know, but in my head, I was actually there. Um, so can I ask you which book? Because I have one book that I wrote from beginning to end. It was a joy. It was a book. There were no hard parts. Mm. And um, it was the easiest book I ever wrote. Have you had a book that was sort of just, that was a pure joy and easy-ish, you know what I mean, to write? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think which ones have been like that. There have been a couple that I think were easier than than others. Um, I, I wrote... I have a, uh, a new, when new adult was a thing, you know, I kind of, mm -hmm. I loved, I loved to read it. So I jumped on that for a little bit and I still enjoy, you know, elements of it. Um, so there's a series that I have called Perfect Dish. And the first book was a bear to write. It was like, it was just, yeah. Like wrestling but, a bear. Sometimes. Right. It really was. But the second book, because it was about one set of characters. And then the second book is about like another set of characters and they were so easy to write and so much fun to write that I then wrote a, uh, another book uh, that was their wedding book. And that book was super easy to write because, you know, their, their love story was already established. Right. Um, and it was just fun. It was just fluff and fun. And it was, I mean, it wasn't all, it wasn't like a zany comedy because they were, there was a lot of family issues. She comes from a big Italian family and he came from a very, um, uh, political uh, waspy family and and he had a lot of uh, family issues um, and so there it wasn't all you know sunshine and, and laughter right. but it was just fun to write because I already knew all these people and and you know different things happened to them but it was not um, you know there was a lot of angst I guess and it was it was just it was it was it was super and one has a new adult actually yeah you know it was it was a Christmas wedding so it was even more fun because hey who doesn't love a Christmas wedding right <laughs> so it was that was that was super fun um and and pretty easy um and there have been a couple of others that have just felt like like they just go a lot faster and easier than 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 some others um the posse was pretty easy actually to write because the posse which was my first adult contemporary um i was actually driving home from the beach and the entire story just like unfolded as i drove and and i knew what this was going to happen to me once so oh. what did you do because i was on the 405 which is you know five oh, yeah. lanes of people driving too fast and um, so that was because somebody's like, well, why didn't you pull out a recorder? And I thought I have to like protect my life on this yeah. freeway. Like I can't no. do that. So no. what did you, did you come home and like write it down? What did you yeah. do to like, you know, protect I, that? Cause ideas out of my head in five minutes. And it's horrible. I, I just kept everybody. I think I, I know I had people in the car with me. So I, I had probably at least two of my, my girls, my daughter, my oldest daughter would have already been married by then. Um, and I think they were all sleeping which was fine. And I got home and I wrote down the names because I knew the names of the characters, right. like 
right away and I knew what was going to happen. So I just like jotted down a few salient details and then, and then I just wrote it and it was, it did come very, very easily. And, um, and I loved it. Like I said, the whole process was just a lot of fun. No, I had a book like that. It was, so I had a, a minor character. Her name is Nari Yoon. and I actually love Nari. And I was, I, I was driving on the 405 to pick my child up from preschool or whatever. And I remember I was, I don't know. I got in the car. Who knows what I was thinking about? And like her entire backstory came to me yeah. and I thought, oh my gosh. So I had to pull over, not pull over. When I got to the school, I had to write some, some stuff down before I went in to pick him up. Cause at that point it was three or four and he was going to chat the whole way back and, you know, have <laughs> snacks in the back. And so it would not have been an opportune time. Like my mind would have to have been focused on right. him and driving. Um, but it was um, it was interesting because I get a lot of ideas in places I can't write them down. One is in bed at night, and I had one the other night, and I still to this day say to myself, I'm going to wake up and write it down. And I don't because I'm always convinced at 3 a.m. that I'm going to remember it, and I don't. I'm still kicking myself from two days ago. I'm like, but what did I remember? It seems so significant and important at 3 a.m. But I didn't want to wake myself because if I do wake up to write it down, I can't go back to sleep, and that's a different issue. Um, but and then the other ones are in the shower and then in the car. And yeah. <laughs> there's some places where I have no pen. Although um, I think, I don't know if you know Marina Maddox, but I think she uh-huh. texted me the other day and she said, you know, they have like a dry erase board you can stick in your shower. And I thought, huh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but what do you do? I mean, how do you do you, when ideas come to you and it's an inconvenient time, do you immediately write them down or what do you do with them? I will, I will sometimes like, I, I, I now have, I, I don't know whether this is a horrible thing to say. I now have um, Alexa in my car. So you were saying that you have Alexa in your car and Siri in my car does not work. I mean, you can ask her things. Actually, you know what? It might work. I just, I can't do it, but you have Alexa in your car. I, and I we'll do. Sh- and you you're right that that Siri does not well see I have the Bluetooth in my car and so right. I have noticed that Siri doesn't seem to translate well through Bluetooth so if mm. I try to talk to her like I'll say call my husband and right. she'll be like call the president <laughs> no <laughs> I no, think that's happened no, to me yeah. right you're like no yes. no no don't don't do that no um, it's somebody who can take directions it'll be fourth like 1532 fourth street but you can't right. understand call maggie right but okay uh, exactly yeah and and i'm always like really seriously but um so so yes yeah, so my daughter had gotten this this um for the car the alexa for the car because my granddaughter um loves music and she wanted to be able to say you know Alexa play this play that without having to worry about messing with music in the in the car which I appreciate and so they had it on sale during prime days and I was like oh I'm gonna get this because it will be good for me to not have to worry about um the car so yeah about messing with you know about like okay turn on on the wiggles um (laughs) which happily happily she generally likes good music but every now and again she's like wiggles so anyway um so yes so now i i've noticed that i can say like make a note you know set a reminder and you can actually say like remind me that i want to write about blah 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 you know so you can at least do it that way and you can also like if you have a, a dot or any of those things you could even use it in the shower um, and I'm How sure. How do I not know this? I'm sorry. I'm just like, wow. wow. You I blow mean, my I, mind. I think, like, even if you had, um, um, 
like if your your phone, even if you use Siri, I think that if you have your phone set like outside the shower, you could say, "Hey Siri, make a note," or what? Oops! Oh. And actually, my boss <laughs> came on. Yeah. Oh God, sorry. I know <laughs> my phone is not in here. I mean, yeah. I, I yeah, I had to leave it outside the room for this reason. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. Mine, mine, mine popped up on my new computer. It, it's like, hey, let me help you with it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's one way of doing it. Otherwise, I just like have to, I just, I just have to write down, like take notes what I, what I can, or really like say to myself, you are going to remember. This is, <laughs> this is it. I, happily, I don't have like, I, it's not nighttime for me. It's either shower or driving. And you're right. Driving uh, is, driving, driving is, is the, the challenge. Problem. Yeah. The shower is the easier to be honest, because I will get out of the shower and not yeah. You know, I will not dry my hair or whatever I'm not going to do. Right. And then I'll write it down and I can get back to that. Yeah. But it's the nighttime. Oh, it, uh, it's so hard. Cause I do. So I normally wake up at three and I try not to stay awake. Cause if I start reading or something like that, I can't go back to sleep and then I'm yeah. exhausted at seven. But, um, so I've made an effort not to like, there's no lights turning on, no picking up the phone, no, no doing that, but to this end. So if I do open, I forget what I use Evernote sometimes at night. And I write it down, then it's great. But two nights ago, I thought, I'm not going to lose. I'm tired. I need some sleep. I'm not going to do this. And I may slightly regret it. We'll see. <laughs> but I'm going to be honest. I don't know if you found this. I'll actually ask you this because I've never asked anybody this. Sometimes when I'm revising a book, because I just finished edits on a book. And sometimes when I'm revising a book and I have a thought to myself and I'll put it in and then I'll scroll down, you know, let's say a page later or a half a page later. And I had the same exact thought and I had yes. put it in. Mm-hmm. So I feel, I feel like there's a backup in my head somehow that honestly, I think the same way and I have the same thought. So even though something feels gone, I probably am going to put it in anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's, it's somewhat reassuring. I just did it yesterday when I was doing edits on a book and I typed in, I don't even know what it was. I needed something. She was sitting down. I thought, why didn't I type she was sitting down? I scrolled down. It's like, she was sitting down. I thought, oh, okay. I had already, like, I'd already had the thought. So, oh, yeah. so it's not me. I wondered about that. And so I feel now less obligated to get everything down because I think ultimately my brain, which obviously is going to go down the same path. Yeah. Um, I, I think I talked to you. I know we messaged about this, but there's a book called The Bestseller Code. Yes. And one of the things that they talk about in the book, which is very interesting to me, is that writers books are sort of like fingerprints. And they said that even it was about um, J.K. Rowling and Richard Galbraith, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you put them through a computer, them, her, it, whatever, her books through a computer, you would have known that she had written both despite the second pen name. Mm -hmm. And so I feel, I wonder if that sort of contributes to Like, I feel like sometimes when I'm writing, like my brain just goes down the same sort of has neural pathways that it has forged for writing. And that in the end, I'm going to capture what it was I thought I missed because it's, the same thought, same thought patterns or the same yeah. patterns um, over and over again happen. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you, I think that's the case. I mean, even as a reader, you can tell, like you can, you start to under, expect and understand certain things from certain authors if you read them enough. I this think. is true. This is, this yeah. is true. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. And that's why sometimes I do read authors for, because I know I'm going to get that experience, whatever mm-hmm. that is for right. that author. 
Yeah. Um, but I know it's going to be similar even, and I, I read across all genres. So there's some authors who write across all genres and I'll read everything because I know I'm going to get that same feeling, whatever that is, I need to feel from that book. Exactly. Um, but I'm like, oh, well, it's, it's a mystery. I know I'm going to get that feeling or, oh, it's a romance, but I know I'm going to get that feeling. Oh, it's women's fiction, but I know she's going to stick that feeling in there. Um, so I'm pretty happy about it. Um, so I'll ask you this, and this may be harder for you than it would be for other people, but which of your books holds the most meaning? Because um, I was thinking, I'll say this. So I was thinking a lot about this maybe in the last week or so. I don't know why. Well, there's a lot of time now. Um, and I was thinking about which <laughs> book, <laughs> I have so much time to think. I was thinking about which book for me like holds the most meaning. Um, and it's actually the first book I wrote, <laughs> the one that took forever. Um, and it's not only because it was first, but I think it's also the most autobiographical. I was sort of talking mm. to somebody about the great Santini um, and Pat Conroy, and he talks about mm. how your first book is autobiographical, but after that, you know, <laughs> you know, you that's a one story, and then you you know you got twenty three others in your head that you always thought of as well. So that's the answer for me. But which one for you has the most meaning? I, I think the first one definitely does because it was such an accomplishment to to know that I finished it and then to work on it for as long as I did because I you know as I said it finished in in um in 2008 but I didn't publish until 2011 so for three years I was refining it even while I was writing the other books I was refining it and tightening it and I had agents looking at it I had editors looking at it from New York and saying well if you did this if you did that and I really had to think about what was important to me and why it was important and where I was going to draw lines Um, one of the issues that I had with um, a publishing house I was dealing with in New York was that they wanted me to get rid of all um, aspects of family. It was a YA book and they did not oh, want wow. parents or, or anything. And, and it reminds it me was, of Charlie Brown and the adult. Right. Voices, but yes. right? And that's, that's exactly, <laughs> I was like, Oh no, this, and, and it was really important because there was conflict that was crucial that had to be with, with between generations. And, right. and so, um, you know, it was, it was really it was something that it was that was my line that was like like no this is I'm not getting rid of this this is part of the story and and but they did I did learn where I could get rid of other stuff and I did Mm. change the beginning I I tightened the beginning and it was as I said I worked on a lot I learned a lot during that process um so that book was very much so but I'm I'm going to cheat and say that there's a second one and that would be um the first book in my in uh my love in a small town series was called the last one, which was okay. a horribly confusing name for the first book <laughs> in, a, in a long running series. But I didn't realize it was going to be the first book in the series. It took me a while as an author to realize that I don't write standalones. I only write series. And oh, I'd be like, this is just going to be a standalone. No, it's not you idiot. It's mm. you. <laughs> um, So the particular book um, I wrote six years ago, um, and it actually, it, it just passed its six year publishing anniversary. And it was really, I, I learned a lot during the writing of it. I grew a lot. I felt like as an author, it encapsulated um, a lot of things that I was going through, um, both personally and, and I saw other people going through. And it just was, I, I took some risks in it that I had not taken before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, it, it is one of my, it remains one of my favorites of of all of of all of my books it's kind of it's the one that can still make me cry and still um, you know give me it yes. still gives me all the feels so um and and I still get you know 
uh, emailed about it. And so, yeah, so those, those two would be, I would say. So yeah. I'm going to ask you this and, um, cause it, well, I spent all the time thinking about books, I think <laughs> oddly. And, um, but do you have like, and I, somebody asked me this actually a couple of months ago and until she asked me, I had never thought about it, but I've thought about it a lot. Do you think there's a core story that you're trying to tell? Because she asked me that and I looked at her and I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, but what is the core story you're telling over and over again in your books? Because she works with a lot of writers and she was yeah. like, this is a thing. What is it? And I was like, huh? Um, but I, you know, and, but, you know, 10 seconds later, I was able to answer the question. And the question for me is like women sort of women who are challenging, who are going through challenging circumstances and sort of go through a lot of darkness before they see the light. And I, I used to call them difficult heroines. I have a lot of words for them, but I like a heroine who just has like a really difficult background and is looking for not love to heal her, but like sort of going through like a healing place or whatever. I don't know too much California in me, but <laughs> I've exceeded the time in the California time has exceeded my New York time. And I'm really struggling with that because I feel like a New Yorker. So, but, um, but it happens, but is there like a core story that you're, do you think that is something that you're, it's really important for you to say? Um, I think that um, I love a happy ending. I love a, um, you know, I love a love story, clearly. But I think it's that it doesn't have to be perfect. There was a line in in one book recently. I can't remember. Where, <laughs> no, I can't remember which of my books, but I, I, it was a teaser. So it must have been something fairly recent. Um, and it was that love is is not perfect. There's no perfect love story. Um, you know, but each person's journey and love story is perfect for them. And I've never oh, like been, that. I've never been somebody who, who enjoyed like the cookie cutter, um, you know, oh, they fell in love and there was only sunshine and rainbows and everything in their life just smoothed out because they'd fell in love. No, that's not how life works. And I, right. I do not want, I, I feel a great obligation to women um, especially to young women, not to set up expectations that are unrealistic. Um, you know, I don't write about Disney princesses, um, even though I think that they've been better. I think Disney princesses yeah. have gotten more realistic. But um, yeah, but um, as realistic yeah. as princesses can be. There you go. Well, and and the, you know that was kind of I, I did actually write royal romance, and that was kind of the reason I did it was because it was not the perfect story. She was not at all the the um you know the the aristocratic woman marrying the prince whatever she was somebody who like she was a farmer she loved to dig in the dirt she didn't like to wear dresses she didn't like to do her hair or makeup whatever mm -hmm. um but she still made it and and that whole series that whole trilogy was about her finding her footing in a world that was foreign to her and still remaining true to herself, you know, right. not, and sometimes that does take change. I mean, you can't, it, there's compromise in life. And so mm -hmm. if you're going to marry, if you are somebody who, who, you know, loves to farm, but you're going to marry a, a, a guy who's a prince in the, the British Royal family, because you love him and you can't imagine your life without him, you're going to have to make some compromises. There's <laughs> just no way that, that you can't, but you can make those compromises 
if you, if it's the right person, if it's the right situation, and if you're strong enough, you can make those compromises and still remain true to yourself and not compromise your ideals. And that's something that I think is probably the story that I'm telling over and over again in a lot of different with with different details and different settings and so on. Oh, okay. So now yeah. I think I know what I like about your books because I wouldn't I wouldn't if you had asked me, I'd have been like, but she. It's there's a certain realism to them um, because yeah. I well, I've been reading romance since I was like 13, which is not yeah. yesterday and um, <laughs> at all whatsoever. And one of the things I think I appreciate about romance, the evolution, is that there has been more realism in it. Yes. And more people having compromises, women having careers yeah. or whatever it is that yeah. you can't, you know, it's not like you're going to like trip on, you know, chip at the, <laughs> the foot of the gothic castle move in and all is going to be well yeah. um you know there's going to be there's a lot that has that goes into it and is in one in, in real life you know goes into a relationship um everybody everybody has to make compromises yep. and um even if even if you live i don't want to say happily ever after but if you're living happily there's still there's daily compromises. There's always compromises. The curveballs come at you and you still, yeah. you have to soldier through it, however you're going to do it. Yeah. But um, I think that's what I like. Okay. I think I'm good. <laughs> now, that I've, now that I've cleared that off for myself. <laughs> um, so, okay. So before we end, I have to ask you, what's the name, the name of the dog who's tinkling? <laughs> who wants your food? Oh, oh, who the, he's Kaipo. There's actually two sitting in here, but Kaipo oh. is the, 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 and he just looked up. He says, oh, did you call me? He yeah. is, um, Kaipo is Hawaiian for sweetheart. Oh, and, okay. and so um, he is, he's generally known as Popo because uh, we have a, a, a Chinese portion of our family and the um, a colloquialism is if you're going to pick somebody up you popo them like you're going to oh, pick okay. up the baby you popo the baby right. and so he loves to be held and so we used to you know he, he likes to be popoed like I we will be taking him for a walk and if it starts to thunder I have to pick him up and carry him because he is <laughs> such a baby yes yes you are um so yeah so he's generally he's generally uh you know fairly well behaved i guess but is he the one who wanted the sandwich he's the one he's still he's still trying to figure out he's looking across the room i'm in my daughter's my daughter's room here because it's quieter and he's looking across like if i could only grow another foot, <laughs> i could probably like jump up there and get it and yeah he's all about the food so who's the other apparently quiet dog charlie charlie came yes Char and charlie's not turning when i call his name because charlie's hearing charlie only hears when i get out the cutting board and start cutting vegetables <laughs> because he loves vegetables so i could call him for an hour and he would not come but if i get out the cutting board and the knife suddenly he's at my feet um yeah and charlie we found right before the 2016 hurricane 2017 hurricane 2016 i guess yeah okay. and he he came to live with us my, my kids went to go get kit kats at the drugstore and they came back with a dog <laughs> yep it's i, I would like to say that that has not happened in my life but it maybe has um mm. where you suddenly like what how why is there another dog yeah <laughs> what happened what just happened yeah. bless his heart yeah i mean uh, we've had kaipo since he was a tiny tiny puppy and mm -hmm. he's very spoiled and, and, and a pampered darling. And Charlie, I, we think, had probably been abandoned and was on the streets and, and is older, definitely. Yeah. Um, but you know what? 
he's I know. he's fallen to something good. He lives the good life now. <laughs> no, I had one like that, and one actually I did take to the pound because that was the third dog. Somebody was like, I saw this dog, and I was like, so I have five pets, so no. Um, yeah. But we had a dog like that for years, and it was so funny because one day. Um, the dog was named Jake. He 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 died Aww. a few years ago. But he so he lived with us maybe I don't know ten eleven years. I probably more. And um, he was a stray, and we think he was abandoned because he was fairly well cared for and very you know people social people friendly and all of right. that. But he came in and he was sort of skittish. And then one day I opened the door, and he started whining. And I was like, I was like, you know, I have a lot of conversations with the dog. And I'm like, what's up? And he was sort of just planted by the door. And he was like, so I'm not leaving. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is the time of day that we just go out to poop. But, you know, but, so we understand that you're not leaving. But he got super territorial. He was like, I'm here. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I'm not leaving. I, I, this is, we're good, right? We're good, right? Yeah. And I was like, we're good. We're good. We, we've uh, had, we've had experiences like that. What chart? Kaipo never really had any insecurities again because he'd always had us and we were always with him. But when right. Charlie came to live with us, um, I think I, I think this is what happens when we leave for even like ten minutes to go to the grocery store. I think it, not so much anymore. But it was Charlie would turn to Kaipo and say, "They're never coming back. They're, they're, <laughs> they're just they're not coming back." And then they'd get into things. They'd like they'd like knock over trash cans. Or they'd get into all kinds of stuff, which. Kaipo had never done before so I am positive that Charlie was like well they've left that's it they're never coming back um that he seems to be a little bit more secure these days but uh, oh that's so funny yeah. so the dog Jake he had separation anxiety when he sort of when oh, he decided yeah. he was in when he and yeah. then and he would howl and things like that. So we had, I think we hired a trainer who was like, do it in increments. So we'd leave for five minutes and we'd leave for 10 oh, minutes and then we'd leave okay. for 20 minutes so that gotcha. he, I know this is whatever, so that he would know that we were coming back. But we did, he did have a lot of insecurity and, you know, he yeah. would eat like, I think he, had, he ate like an apple tart. Like I had to drive in LA traffic at like 5 p.m. and I had like a craving for an apple tart. And I went out to, I don't know, talk to a neighbor. Who knows? Rolling the garbage cans. I couldn't even tell you what I did. And I come back and apple tart's gone. And I'm looking at the dog. And he's like, <laughs> he's like but, 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 you, but you left. And I was like, I stepped outside. <laughs> I did not leave. And then I gave him, you know, the guilty dog look. I gave him a look and I think he peed on the, at least it was tile man, the entryway. And I was like, Oh, I'm not going to kick you out. I just prefer yeah. to eat my apple tarts because <laughs> I don't want to drive down La Brea and spend another 40 minutes getting a two dollar tart. So right. I didn't eat it, and nobody missed it. But you know, it's just weird. Dogs, I enjoy dogs. Um, they're they're interesting and delightful, and I've had them my whole life. So I don't mm. I don't really know how to do it without it. No. Um, so I'm so glad that you talked to me and that um. Because it's, I know it's late afternoon there. It's so weird. Because I, oh. when I was emailing you, all I could think of was, oh, we're going to meet at noon. And then I thought, oh, it's not noon where she is. Oh, yeah. But it's good. It's all good. It's it's looking like it's going to storm here and it might already be storming. And it's fine. It's a, you know, Sunday, Sunday afternoons are football and chilling and yeah. I know, relaxation. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. get to that part of my day um, <laughs> in, a, in a moment. Um, I, I haven't decided what I'm going to do. I don't know. Um, well, I usually used to go to yoga, but obviously that's not going to happen. So I will either do yoga at home or take a walk or or, or, or write the book I'm supposed to be working on <laughs> or that. But it yeah. can go anyway. Yeah. But um, I want to thank you so much for talking. And um, 
I will list all of your, not all of your books. I'm sorry. All of these places people can contact you in the show notes. If I listed all the books, I don't, I I think there's a character, there may not be a character limit, but I might hit it with that. Just just Um, go to my website. They're all, they're all there. So. um, And so this was Tadra Candle, whose name I will now never mispronounce (laughs) again. Um, The USA Today bestselling author of over 90 romances. Um, and you can certainly find her at, um, at toddrickcandle.com and I will list um, all the other places. But thank you so much for talking to me and thank have you a, for having me. Have a really good afternoon with thank the dog and sandwich, which I hope is safe. <laughs> yes, it is. 